The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, And he said to Jesus, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly the angels came and waited on Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you all to be seated. So I, I want you to know that you're getting something special. I didn't do this for the first service. You're getting bonus Bible readings. Um, I know, you're so excited. Um, well, and here's the reason, is because it starts off as this, this set of readings from the second lesson with the word therefore. And I think it's important to hear where that therefore comes from. And so one more bonus, that, but this is your own extra credit. This actually also begins with therefore. And so I encourage you to read Romans chapter 4 to find out what this therefore means, all right? So this is... For those of you who are following along in, in your Bibles, then uh, this is Romans 5, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one one would dare even to die. But God shows God's love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, we, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of God's Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by Jesus' life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For indeed, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted when there is no law. And so that's the uh, that's the context of that. Therefore, and there's a there's a reason that I I happen to think of this, and it's because of the conversation that we had in confirmation this morning. And Alice was our wonderful guinea our wonderful participant 
who was willing to hear the second article of the creed, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living of the dead. You know, that one, right? And I, I know y'all were saying it along with me. I just provided that so that just in case, you know, you forgot a word here. Although I will say, since we started the ELW, it is everything I can do not to say power of the Holy Spirit because that just belongs there. Um, so the reason, though, that that came to mind is we had a really good discussion about what judgment means. And it fits right in with today's gospel, which was an accident, by the way. It fits right in with today's gospel because it's about Jesus' temptation. And the thing about temptation, and I'm about to make the most obvious statement you're going to hear all week. The thing about temptation is it's tempting. Like, it wouldn't be temptation if it weren't something that we're tempting. And so, as we talked about in confirmation, Jesus, we understand to be fully divine and fully human. The two natures fully present in the one person of Jesus Christ. And so, we, we have in Jesus, on the one hand, you know, the Word made flesh who dwells among us, who created all, you know, through whom all things were created, as we hear in the Gospel of John, and... We have the child who was born of Mary, who was born of flesh. And, and so while in Jesus, we do have the understanding that we have the one in whom there is no sin because of that divinity that resides in, in Jesus somehow. That's part of the mystery. And the thing about mystery that I like is it means I don't have to understand it. I just kind of have to talk about it and struggle with it like everybody else. We, we also have that piece of Jesus who in the process of not sinning found temptation also to be tempting. And, you know, we, we hear in this story the 40 days of Jesus fasting and praying in the desert. You know, I, I had breakfast at like 6.30 in the morning, and if someone offered me good bread, like right now, literally right now, I probably would be hard-pressed not to take it because I really like it. You know, I, and so, like, I, I imagine 40 days... And I would find it really tempting if I had the capacity to tell a stone to become bread to have something to eat. You know, it's, it's also tempting because of something in particular about what it means that Jesus is our king in the kingdom of God. Remember how Jesus was born, not in opulence, but in a manger, not with a trust fund, but to a, a mother who was young and a father who apparently didn't know how to operate Airbnb, and so they didn't have a room when they got there, and they had to be in a room where they, they were invited to borrow it for the night. You know, born in a place where they were under occupation, not in a place where the king of God was sitting on the throne and had power over earthly dominion, right? So, like, we, if, if, the, if the king in God's kingdom is a king that rules through service, that's not typically how kings get power, it might be tempting to skip all the suffering part and, and just go ahead and, and be able to rule. Because I, I got news for you. If someone made me a king, I have a lot of good ideas. And at least I think they're good ideas. And if I were, if I were a king, you couldn't tell me any different. You know, so I, I, can, I can see why that might be tempting. Or after 40 days in the desert, fasting and praying, sweating in places that you never knew existed before. Like the idea of being able to throw yourself down and have angels attend to you so you don't dash your foot against a stone and be pampered. I, am, I imagine that would be pretty tempting too. And, and so I, 
I want to say really clearly that when we say that Jesus was tempted, Jesus was tempted because temptation is tempting. And, and so we have between Genesis and Matthew this really interesting comparison of, you know, the people who were given one rule and can't follow it because they were tempted and it's tempting versus the one who was offered everything and turned it down because he understood that the glory of God is more glorious than any glory that might otherwise be received. And so you might be saying to yourself, that's great, preacher, but, but how does this tie into the extra Bible that we got? We got bonus Bible, why? Well, here's, here's how it ties in, is that there's a couple things that also came up in confirmation this morning that I think are really important for us right now. Um, part of it is this idea of struggle. We, we have a tendency in our culture to, to misquote scripture and say, God will never give you more than you can handle. Actually, it literally does say that. However, it's in a context that means something a little bit different. It, because God is with us in our struggles, we are then able to, to handle the struggle, not because God has given it to us. God is not the author of evil. God doesn't give us the gift of the burden of our broken humanity so that glory can be revealed. But where God is, glory is revealed by necessity. And so what I mean by that is the struggles that we have because we are broken, sinful people, as we talk about in confession, those struggles are struggles that are our problem because sin is our problem. Fortunate for us, sin is not God's problem. And so God who sees us and knows us and loves us, no matter what God sees in us, and even in spite of some of the things that we do when we try to assert our own independence, like I'm going to eat the fruit, you know, God loves us anyway and through that too. And where God is, transformation can't help but happen because that's how creation responds to the creator. And, and so when we get to this point where Paul talks about boasting in our sufferings, it's not because Paul likes to suffer. I don't think. I mean, like if you read Paul's story, he was a little bit of a glutton for punishment. But Paul, I don't think, likes to suffer any more than the rest of us. What Paul sees that's redemptive in suffering is that our suffering is not in vain because of what Jesus does in us, for us, and through us, through his death and resurrection, and what God does in creation because of that. And, and so because we have hope in Jesus Christ, and as we talked about this morning in the, in the confirmation class, it was such a good conversation, you know, that, that we have hope in this resurrection of Christ that gives us hope that not only is death not the end, but that the ultimate power of the universe is not entropy and decay, but the ultimate power of the universe is the redemptive love and creative force of God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, you know, we are able to see that our suffering is not in vain, and so we boast in our sufferings because that suffering produces endurance. And that endurance produces character in us to be able to see that suffering as something that's productive. And that character produces hope. Hope doesn't disappoint us, not because, just because hope is a good thing. And this is a really interesting kind of Greek trick here. There's a couple ways to interpret it. My favorite way to interpret this next part is we boast in our sufferings because suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope will not disappoint us because God pours love for God into our hearts. Isn't that an interesting trick that we can do with the grammar of Greek? Now, that's, I only know that because a, Hebrew, or a Greek professor taught me that. It's not because I was actually good at it. But it, it stuck with me for so many years because isn't that 
a really fascinating way to think about what it is that God is doing through Christ's death and resurrection, that everything that is holy is proper to God, and all of it is poured into us by our Creator. And when we think back to that creation story, where we hear in the beginning of Genesis that God created humankind in God's own image, that image is something that's been poured into us too, so that what we reflect is the image of the Creator in love and glory, not because we particularly make good choices, but because what God creates isn't junk, right? And, and so that's where you get into, you know, no one would die for a, for a good person. And this is actually a joke, and it's, a, it's, a, it's fine, it's a, it's a grammar joke, and I think it's funny when I know the grammar, and whatever, read a commentary and you'll get it. But the, the serious part of it is that, you know, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. Think about that. It's not God died for all the good church people. It's not God died for all the people who have stuff right. It's not God died for all the people who have the correct political agenda according to what they say the Bible says. While we were yet enemies, while we were standing against God because we're standing in our own will, while we were standing against the kingdom of God because we're standing in our own desires, while we're standing against the way that God calls us to be in relationship, loving everybody, because we like to have lines drawn in the sand between us and them, whoever them happens to be this week. While we were stuck in our own pitiful belief that there is nothing redemptive in us that is infecting our hearts to the point where it causes us to lose all hope, Christ died for that. It's at this point that the redemptive work of God begins because the cross is not planted in the throne rooms of the powerful. The cross is planted in the places where the earth is salted and hope can never spring again because where God is, life cannot help but spring into being. The cross is the symbol of our despair turned into joy. And so we boast in our sufferings because the endurance and character and hope that come in that are the very presence of God's own self. So we, we see why it is that even though we're not going to be able to, to not be tempted like Jesus, I mean, Jesus was tempted, even though we're not always going to be able to resist temptation, because let's just be really honest for a minute. If, if I really want something, I can justify like nobody's business. I'm pretty clever. You know, I, I can come up with stuff on the fly pretty well. And so if I really want to do something, I, I can find a way that God wants me to have this, right? And, and there are those moments where we look at ourselves and our temptation and we kind of laugh. But, you know, then, then we have those, those broken moments where, where we're vulnerable and we're hurting and we, we just feel like we've been savaged. And, and that thing that comes to us is the very thing that would feel so good. You know, I, I remember when I was in seminary, um, we, let's see, I started seminary in 2002. Lauren and I got married in 2001. And so I was getting ready to go on internship. So this must have been 2003. So Lauren had, was at the end of paramedic school. And just so you know, paramedic school has like a 50 to 60% divorce rate. 
because you have to do 250 hours of classroom time over the course of a year, 250 hours of clinical time, which is split between hospital and riding along on ambulance shifts, and then work your 50 hour a week full-time job on top of all that. And, and then you add a family, and it was just me and Lauren and our dog Bugsy at that point, who was a very cute puppy, by the way. And uh, you know, we, it was a hard year, and not only that, you know, at this point in 2003, I was what, 25, 26, and uh, I was still kind of in the process of my own sense of prolonged adolescence and avoiding anything that looked like real maturity, even though I was already in seminary. And you can imagine what a joy I was to live with with that in mind. And so let me just say, anything that happened was just my fault. And that's just the way it works out, right? And I'm okay with that. It was just my fault. And uh, I remember we had just been at each other's throats for what felt like months. And it, it was just kind of like the time in your, in your life where you look at a person you love and just the look in their eye, you say, okay, so we're going to fight today, right? That's what we're going to do. And I was, uh, I was sitting at a restaurant because they had 30 cent wings and it was really nice. And I was sitting up at the bar eating the wings and I was sitting there chatting with, with a young woman who was just sitting there and she'd been there for a long time that day and was having a time. And I've always been someone who, when someone's got problems, they talk to me, you know, my, that's part of why I'm a pastor. But at, at the end, she said, you know, you, you're a really good listener. And she, she just gave me a quick peck on the cheek and slid me her phone number. Now, like, first of all, that's not something that just typically happens to me. And, you know, I like attention. It's not like I, you know. And it, but it, it was a moment where I realized it was important. Because all of a sudden, you know, like, I go home and I know I'm, I'm going to respond like the jerk again that I've been responding as because it really was, it was my fault. And there are moments where we're vulnerable because somebody being just nice to us feels good, right? Now, I'm, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I, I, I politely thanked her and then handed it to the bartender to be destroyed in proper ways. I did not accept her phone number. But, you know, temptation is tempting. And when we're vulnerable, we, we're at risk, right? So it, this all plays in, in part, because of one other piece that came up in confirmation this morning that I think is just so important, which is that part about judgment. Because think about those places in our lives where we're vulnerable, and we hear the word judgment, and what do we hear? We hear that God's going to get us, because they're, you know, and it's one of the reasons why when you ask somebody who's like a teenager or new to faith or even old in faith, and you're like, what book of the Bible would you like to understand better? They say Revelation. And every pastor says both, oh boy, and oh boy, because it's not any more clear to us really than it is to anybody else other than we say, you know, almost dutifully, you know, it's, it's a book of allegory written for a specific people at a specific time with a specific set of circumstances in a specific place. It's written to describe how God is with us even in the times when we are persecuted. And it's written not to step-by-step step describe how judgment is going to work, but just to declare that there is hope in the midst of hopelessness and God is sovereign even when it feels like everyone is, is against you. That's kind of the book, you know, the, the Reader's Digest version of Revelation there. But people want to understand it because there's all this poetic language, all this allegory, all this rich imagery that talks about what judgment might be like, and none of it feels positive. All of it has fire and crazy stuff. And so the, the thing that I think connects it to us and our experience is that we understand fire and crazy stuff 
Because when we hear the word judgment, we expect it to be bad. When we hear the word consequences, we expect it to be bad. Because a lot of times when we look at our lives and compare them to other people and we're comparing our worst to, to their best, it's impossible for my worst to measure up to anyone else's best. And so when I think about what judgment looks like for me, I get wrapped up in that too of thinking, oh man, Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And what is Jesus going to see in me? And I'm just going to say this as plainly as I know to say it. The vision of the God who can't wait to punish us because we are awful people. If that is the image of God's love, that is not healthy love. That's an abusive relationship in any context, even when that context is God. And I think it's important to recognize that because that love is so prevalent in the conversation of our culture when we talk about God. We turn God into a bully who can't stand the sinners that God says they're going, that God's going to save. And how in the world does that work? What does it look like if love looks like love? If love looks like love, then judgment looks like mercy. If love looks like love, then the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't a millstone around our neck. But when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, it's because the death and resurrection of Jesus frees us from the sense that God is just waiting to judge us negatively. And good thing to hear is that God's love is a love that redeems. That fear of judgment is one more thing we lay at the foot of the cross. One more thing that God redeems. One more thing that changes from darkness into light when God is present. So this week as we go out from this place and we ponder all of this because it's Lent and that's what we do. You know, I'd, I'd like to encourage you to think about the things in your life that, that you find to be tempting and challenging. About the things that maybe you've responded really well to and you can, you can feel good about that. Or, or the things you haven't, don't feel bad about these things, just recognize them, you know. Or the things you haven't responded well to and, and recognize that there are places in your life that you've got to confess so that we can be free from the effects of it, right? Because God forgives that. And also think about what it means that, and, and I'm going to quote Frozen 2, one of the, which, which does a good job of two things, by the way. There's a song called Next Right Thing. It's one of the best songs about grief and perseverance that I've ever heard in my entire life. But there's also a line that Christoph has that I think is amazing. My love is not fragile. When, when we're confronted with the hardest things in life and we wonder how anyone, even God, might be able to love us, Remember that, God's love is not fragile. And for everything that's within us, God has a plan to redeem that. Amen.